Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We often go into personal growth with the desire to become better. That desire makes us uh, want to be perfect. Rather than trying to fix your dragons, you have to learn to live with them. The dragons are your essence that make you what you are. I'm not talking about such easy-to-accept flaws, easy-to-love flaws. I'm talking about the dragons which make you feel ashamed. Oh, I'm a perfectionist. That's my biggest flaw. No, your biggest flaw is the thing that makes you cringe, that makes you small, which is not easy to share in public. That's your biggest flaw. Can you embrace that one? The one thing you could start asking yourself if you want to start unpacking this is... Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. I'm your humble host, Amrit Sandhu, and you're tuning in to a conscious conversation designed to help you grow. Our mission here is simple. It's for you to live your purpose, live your best life, live the life you love. This podcast is sponsored by Enthusiasm for Life, by great creation itself. Keep the good vibes flowing for myself and yourself. Do us a solid. Subscribe to the Inspired Evolution podcast on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution podcast. Now sit back, relax, open your mind, open your heart to this conversation and stay inspired. Keep evolving. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. And we're back with Christina Mandalekiani. Christina, welcome back. Thank you for having me back. And you know, it's not my first time and still I get (laughs) a little like um, jolt of energy when I hear you saying (laughs) your hello. (laughs) I won't even attempt to (laughs) to call it anything. Well, (laughs) the you is totally, uh, totally, uh, I guess, a me thing. And uh, yeah, I think uh, especially uh, from someone that, you know, that espouses that that our greatest potential comes from self-acceptance. I think it's, uh, yeah, it's very fitting, (laughs) especially in our conversations um, to have that in the beginning. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I remember the most awkward you I've had 
was the Marissa Peer one. <laughs> Just because she's so well put together. She's, you know, from a different generation to myself. And I was like, am I really going to you in this podcast? And uh, yeah, nonetheless, we still started with a you. <laughs> I think it's important, actually. You know, how many times do we have this question? Am I going to tone myself down for someone? Mm. Uh and I, I know I have this, I've had this question in my life many times and yeah. it's so tempting to, you know, to just be more appropriate for that particular circumstances. But it's, it's, it's an interesting fine balance because there is, there is space where you have to adjust and then there are situations where you have to, you have to stay you. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit because the, the book that you're writing coming out in the new year is called um, is, is about being flawsome, which I love this concept of flawsome because you're awesome in your uniqueness. But then there's that balance that you're describing, right? Like in some instances, mm. it's you've got to go along to get along <laughs> a little bit, right? And in some instances, it's, you know, just be unapologetically yourself and just sort of see. And if in the, any of the opportunities that weren't meant for you that that don't come to you weren't meant for you anyway right so mm -hmm. can you describe that balance a little bit more like maybe espousing through your story like potentially giving us two examples one where you've gone along to get along like you know one play places where you find it's probably more appropriate mm -hmm. to sort of you know adopt to the social norm adapt to the mm -hmm. status quo and in some instances where it's like actually that really doesn't serve you mm -hmm. you know um I actually, uh, the thing that came to my mind is mm. that one of the signs of uh, of people who have who are psychopaths is that they don't they completely disregard social conventions. Oh no! Uh, <laughs> you heard it it doesn't mean that they, uh, you know, that they do it in your face uh, because they're also very charming people and very often um, are manipulative. And mm. by manipulative, that means that. Uh, they can show a different side of them, not what is not actually them. Mm -hmm. But uh, that I'm saying that with a little bit of a of a joke, of course. Yes. <laughs> a little bit most of people are not. Might be are not, the, the podcast of a psychopath. <laughs> well, most of us are not. Most of us are yeah. not. But yeah. um, with that said, you know, I I always uh, like uh, civility. Uh, and uh, being being nice and being polite, although uh, actually being polite is all about uh, lying, is all about not being yourself, because what is a polite answer to, did you like this cake? Mm. <laughs> For example, if you don't like the cake, or would yeah. you like to have a cake and uh, say you are trying to steer away from sugar? And yeah. that's, a, that's actually, by the way, an interesting question, because we live in the society that uh, applauds people who will say, Oh, I don't eat this. Yeah. <laughs> I have, I actually have my reservations because sometimes it's okay to say yes and just uh, mess up your plate and pretend that you've eaten. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that aside, um, in my book, I don't actually uh, ask that question. Hmm. And to be honest, I haven't been uh, giving a lot of given a lot of giving a lot of thought to to that dilemma of uh, of um, uh, adjusting to the social environment versus uh, sticking true to yourself. But I know that when I talk about being true to yourself, I, mm. I do get that question. Mm. I do get that question from people saying like, so does that mean that I'm, I have to I have to be myself no matter what, even if it's uh, even if it's. Um, 
not fitting or if it hurts people around, you know, it's not as simple as that. Mm. You have to stick to your values for sure. And you have to be true to your values. Uh, but does it mean that you have to be rude? <laughs> that you have to be unpleasant? No, I don't think so. You can you can stick to your values. You can still be nice with people and then decide to exclude yourself from the environment, from the circumstances, from the people who actually make you um, maybe um, not be completely true to yourself. So for example, you might uh, not uh, very openly uh, deny a piece of cake that you don't eat. Hmm. Uh, you may accept it and even pretend that you've eaten it. And in a way you can say be, uh, lie just to be nice. Hmm. But then uh, in the future, avoid the situations where you are even offered that uh, sugary piece of cake. It's, it's a very interesting thing because a lot of people will say like, no, you have to, you have to uh, declare your truth. But uh, why I'm giving that answer is because I don't believe in absolutes. I don't know who knows the truth. You know, my hmm. truth may not be the absolute truth. You tr your truth will not be might not be truth to me. So who am I to go out and profess the truth? Do I have that moral uh, right? Mm. You know, some years ago, people were uh, blaming uh, eggs and, and fat for all sorts of things. Nowadays, we blame other things. Mm. Uh, so what was truth 20 years ago might not be truth today. So uh, having realized that there is no absolute truth, that things change, that our understandings change, that our values change, I don't want to uh, walk around the world uh, wielding my truth because it's, it's a sharp weapon, you know, Truth, truth is to be used with caution. So I normally choose civility and being polite, normally. Mm. Mm. And if it is against my values, then I will just not place myself in the situation where I'm, again, conflicted with that. Uh, with that said, if, uh, if uh, it's uh, a question of moral or ethics, I will say, I will speak out. I would say that this is uh, against my values. I can't agree. For example, you ask me, do I have to sometimes adjust? I'm a feminist. And uh, ha coming, having come back to Estonia, uh, which used to be part of Soviet Union, mm. the relationship with feminism is kind of complicated here. Of course, right. it was 30 years ago, people have changed, but I have, uh, feminism is like a red cloth in this part of the world. People actually despise feminism. And I've heard people, uh, people being uh, misogynist and I would speak out because this yeah. is uh, bigger than just a question of civility. This is mm. bigger than just my personal uh, beliefs. I think this is a bigger course. Uh, I, I will not uh, look for a fight, but if people are very um, offensive, I will speak out. Mm. Yeah. And so even in the way you were describing that, because I was articulate, I was thinking through um, the question itself for my response as you were giving yours. And I think if someone was to ask me that question, I think there are there are micro interactions that we have as part of a society that are, I want to find a better way of describing this, but lubricative yes. <laughs> towards social interactions. <laughs> this is how I'm going to put that. And I think in that place, um, politeness plays a role. Um, like I don't want to meet a complete stranger and tell them, you know, like, I don't like your hair, <laughs> to which they could probably respond, Amrit, you don't even have any hair. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But nonetheless, you know, like there's that there's that politeness that sort of keeps um, social civility and norms going. But for me, I was feeling into that the places most 
requiring of me to actually accept myself and um yeah there's some real safe places like you know this conversation here where i'm sitting with someone that you know obviously is open-hearted open-minded and there is permission for me to be vulnerable and express myself fully and also and which is i guess that highlights probably some level of intimacy probably in the intimate moments when i'm sitting with friends and having conversations there's probably that permission to sort of you know find the even more vulnerable part of myself to sort of see what i can uh, like open up to and then also i think some of the more and again probably that comes back to intimacy again the the bigger decisions that i have to make in life i think oftentimes i find especially as a coach people make a lot of decisions based on social norms um which is mm. yeah you know there's that opportunity to get really accept your situation where you are and oftentimes i find when we're making decisions that aren't aligned with our souls calling it's because we can't really accept you know that we're here to well, and oftentimes an individual's perception is like, I'm here to just do this, you know, and it's like, I'm here to mm-hmm. just paint or I'm here to just make music. And it's like, just because society doesn't value the arts as much as they value some, like mm-hmm. uh, science and engineering doesn't make it adjust, you know, it, it's, it's mm-hmm. important, if not more. And we've discussed this in previous podcasts as well, right? So does does that sort of speak to potentially how you apply it in your life a little bit like in the intimate and the larger mm-hmm. decision making moments is potentially where there's more room for us to um accept sort of our shortcomings uh it's you you've actually started a new train of thought and i think we, we are, we've talked so many times that I, mm. i'm afraid that this conversation is going to go deeper and more philosophical than than previously mm. uh because we we already have the common ground <laughs> So as you were speaking, I was thinking that, you know, there's a difference between uh, big decisions because big decisions are never about civility. Mm. Big decisions, if you're making a choice in your life, it is not about other people, it is about you. Even if you think that that choice might be about other people, for example, a choice to divorce a husband with whom you have children, right? Mm. It is is still about me, it's not about other people, no matter what other people might think. Civility is something different, it's interaction. It's interaction. Uh, it's it's maybe superficial, but it has such profound influence on us. Mm-hmm. And we have moved past the time of uh, the times when people were civil to each other. And uh, yes, of course, that also meant wearing masks. But but you can be polite to other people without having to lie profoundly. Mm-hmm. You can be polite to other people and still express yourself. Uh, and uh, and these are these are very different things. Uh, civility is just interaction. I've never given much thought to civility because mm. because it's just not my uh, area of study. But I appreciate it very much, and I really like people who are civil. I really dislike when people are wielding uh, that you know I'm just being me. I'm just doing me, uh, left and right. Because very often we uh, we um, we escape into uh, how to say, you know, uh, by by being unapolog- unapologetically myself in small matters, by saying things about myself that maybe ne- other people don't even care, you know, how I meditate, how I eat, how I, how I exercise, to just throwing it around left and right, for whatever reason, just to be in your face, just to be myself. Very often by doing that, we have a feeling that I'm so true to myself that in the questions which are truly important 
we get a permission to escape and not to stay true to ourselves. Mm. I feel that this happens. And uh, it's important to, to not misplace that ability to be true to yourself and to be true to yourself in the places where it matters and to be okay with occasionally closing your eyes on that in the places where it isn't that important. In uh, a more familiar expression, you know, you have to choose your battles. Mm -hmm. Where, so. where is, it, is it really that important that you explain to a stranger how superior you are to everybody else because of whatever you do in your life? Mm -hmm. versus deciding that playing music is not just that's the meaning of your life and that's actually mm -hmm. the world to you, the universe to you. Mm -hmm. So to lighten it up a little bit, what prompted you to write? <laughs> <laughs> what prompted you to write, um, write about this concept of Flawson? Oh, God, I wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> Well, to, to give you a longer answer, yeah. <laughs> because I love giving long answers. It's interesting, our conversation started with a very, very like um, different topic. Uh, yeah. And it was an interesting topic. I think it's an interesting exercise for brain mm. early in the morning because it's yeah. early in the morning. <laughs> I'm still having my morning coffee. But um, to give you a longer story of my book, I've been in uh, personal growth and transformation for, for 20 years now, oh, and nice. Mind Valley has published a lot of authors, amazing mm. authors, and I've shared stage with some of the best speakers in the world, some of the best authors. So obviously, a lot of my good friends and mentors have told me, you have to write a book. I've mm. heard that phrase for years, and mm. I, am, I am a writer. I've embraced being a writer about a year ago. Yeah. Uh, I like to write short forms, so I write Instagram. <laughs> mm. It's 2,100 two uh, um, symbols with yeah. spaces. I love this short format. It makes you very sharp, which you mm. wouldn't guess when you hear yeah. me talk. Mm. <laughs> because I talk a lot, but I like to write uh, sharp and short form. So mm -hmm. I've been writing quite a lot. And of course, on Instagram, people also tell me, told me you have to write a book. So uh, as a business uh, owner and an entrepreneur, I knew that I have to write a book eventually. But it mm. was this, um, this interesting thought uh, that was there, but I just didn't gel with it. I, being a perfectionist, I could sit down and write it, mm. most likely, but I just felt it was forced. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to creativity, I don't like forced. I mm -hmm. don't mind forced in other areas of life, but creativity, in my opinion, it's a different kind of relationship. It's not a forced relationship. It's about love. It's about, it's about being in the flow. It's about... Um, it's about just trusting the process. And then uh, my best ideas happen to me in the shower. I don't know where they happen mm -hmm. to you. But in the shower, you are safe and you're with mm -hmm. yourself and you're safe mm -hmm. to be yourself. One day I just came out of the shower and I was ready. And I sat down and I started writing. And I didn't write because I had to, because it was my business model, because I had shared stage with the best authors and speakers, because my audience had asked me, I wrote because it was like delivering a baby. Once you are pregnant, mm. you won't be able to cross your legs and not deliver. It comes. Mm. So I was ready to deliver the book. And that's how it happened. So why? I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> the baby was conceived and it was ready. 
Well, even just in your description there, like you mentioned that there was a resistance in the time frame that you were being a perfect, like, you know, there's this idea of perfectionism and it's kind of, well, I don't want to say ironic, but it's somewhat ironic to hear you say that when you're mentioning like the perfectionism is what was holding you from writing the book and the book is all about being flawsome and at the risk of just being surface deep analysis of the book, but, you know, that sort of juxtaposition between perfectionism and, you know, accepting our flaws because I found again and again on the Inspired Evolution podcast, it's our biggest challenges that are our biggest gifts. And I think this is kind of what, the theme potentially of the book maybe as well, right? Um, for sure, yes. Perfectionism is an interesting quality that I have. Mm. I used to say I'm recovering perfectionist until I finally uh, realized that you can't recover from being yourself. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. So I just embraced that quality and uh, it is... Um, <clears throat> We like to throw perfectionism as our big flaw, knowing that uh, there is something nice about it. You know, how mm. can you? There's a different. Th th I can th throw a different flaw at you. I'm a lazy person. Mm. I like to stay in bed. I like mm. to work from bed, to have my coffee in bed, my computer in bed. Mm. Uh, and okay, I've replaced lazy with leisurely, but the essence is the same. This is not as glamorous a fault as perfectionism, isn't it? Mm. No. Uh, <laughs> and we like we like to be good we like to be liked so even when we talk about our flaws about our imperfections we like to choose the ones which are more uh pleasant mm -hmm. which are more glamorous mm -hmm. so yeah i i uh, do mention perfectionism because it's, it, it it has uh, influenced my life and it's, it still does mm. But I'm not talking about such easy to accept flaws, mm. easy to love flaws. I'm talking about the dragons which make you feel ashamed. Mm. Perfectionism maybe makes you feel annoyed. Oh, here I am again. Here I'm procrastinating. Here I can't finish mm. because I'm being perfectionist. But these are not the unpleasant feelings we dislike to face. Mm. The unpleasant feeling that I, you dislike to face, maybe not you, I do not know, but I mean, no, please continue. I'm talking generally, is, uh, is shame, mm. is uh, feeling that you are not good enough that there is someone better than you, that you will never be as good as is required for certain, for something. And perfectionism is not that flaw. Hmm. Others are. Uh, maybe your obstinance, might, my, your obstinance might be one of those flaws. I, I, I really, I'm trying to dissect my, my flaws, but the things that make me feel ashamed is that I can never be the kind of speaker that I've seen on stage. I've learned public speaking from the best people, the best teachers in the world. Three of them I know are the top of the top. Hmm. And I've learned personally, uh, have, give, uh, have gotten like private lessons. And I know what it means to be a good public speaker by uh, everybody's standard. I, I get it, but I have this annoying obstinacy, which makes me go on stage and say, I'm not going to be a monkey. I'm not going to be a clone. I'll be myself. And I know that people will come and tell me, but you have to do like that. And I'm like, no. Mm. And on the other hand, yeah, I know it is my obstinacy, but I also understand that it makes me also shrink because I know that there will be people who are like, ah, she's making this mistake. I know I'm making it. I'm making it knowingly. Mm. Why? Because I refuse to not be myself. 
mm. on stage. In other, uh, in other instances, I'm okay to not be myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's interesting, but on stage, because this is my mission, mm-hmm. this is bigger than just, just being polite. Mm-hmm. There, I refuse to not be myself. Even if whatever, you, I, I will be a monkey to lift the energy because when I'm on stage, my, uh, my goal is to uh, convey a message. And if mm-hmm. the audience is not ready, I'm willing to not be myself and to do things which, which are unpleasant to me, to lift the energy so that they hear what I have to say. Mm-hmm. That's when I will be the monkey. Mm-hmm. But I prefer someone else doing that because right. I want people to know me as I am mm-hmm. and not to see me perform, mm-hmm. which is such a, such a bizarre thing. And this is what... And it's very nuanced. It's very nuanced. It's very, very nuanced. Sorry, I'm interrupting, please. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. You're not interrupting. You're helping me to move along with my thought. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's a very... Um, it's a very curious thing. So in my book, when I talk about your flaws, mm. I'm not talking, I, I like to call flaws dragons. <laughs> it's just the analogy. I, I think we, we operate better when we see pictures. Most mm-hmm. of us are more visual than anything else. So I like to give uh, beautiful analogies, beautiful pictures, and I call the drag, them dragons because uh, the whole story uh, relates to uh, a story of Hobbit, Bilbo Baggins, <laughs> because, uh, because I compare Path back to you as that story. Uh, Bilbo goes on this journey, and yeah. while the whole journey he thinks of his comfortable uh, armchair and his tea and his <laughs> Hobbit hole, and he, uh, he longs to get back, but he's still on this journey. He can't turn back. So the same with... Uh, with uh, finding your path back to you once you're out the door even if you think that you can turn back you have to go through this whole journey you have to go Mm. through the forest you have to go into this horrible cave and face that dragon Mm. and get out on the other side and then you'll get the permission to go back home and even with that permission to go back home when you get back home you're not the same old hobbit anymore and if you know that analogy, he actually abandoned his life. So that's that's mm. my analogy. That's why I call your flaws dragons. But dragons are not the things that you sh- that you wear on yourself like a badge of honor. Oh, I'm a perfectionist. That's my biggest flaw. No, mm. your biggest flaw is the thing that makes you cringe, that makes you small, that makes you feel small, and that makes you actually, which is not easy to share in public. Mm. That's your biggest flaw. Can you embrace that man? Can you find strength in that flaw? That's the question. And I guess the question from there is, how do we start to accept these parts of ourselves? What has been the process that supported you in coming more closer to greater and greater levels of acceptance of the dragon? Is it a matter of shedding the dragon? What is the process? What do you do with the dragon? How do I slay this beast? (laughs) Well, uh, Bilbo released, well, he didn't, he, he was trying to talk to the dragon, it didn't work, but mm. that analogy goes as far as it goes. <laughs> <laughs> so don't talk, oh, you can talk to the dragon for a little while. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't go fooled. any further, unfortunately. Uh, well, in my, in, in my uh, story, mm. you have to live with your dragon. Uh, And that's the thing. Uh, We often go into personal growth with the desire to become better. 
Mm. And uh, that desire makes us uh, want to be perfect. That's why so many of us have the perfectionism is our biggest flaw. Mm. So we have this picture of perfection in our head and we, uh, we aspire to that picture of perfection. And uh, that makes us um, try to heal uh, the things, not heal actually, heal is a, is a good word, try to change, to, mm. uh, to correct, to mm. repair those things that are not working for us. So we take our biggest flaw and we try to fix them. But I think people don't need, need fixing because fixing implies being broken. And if you try to fix yourself, you, um, you, you start with the assumption that you're broken, that something is wrong with you. I think dragons are there. And rather than trying to fix your dragons, rather than trying to slay your dragons, I think you have to uh, learn to live with them. Mm. Because the dragons are your essence that make you what you are. And you, you can't fix yourself into being something else you can't change you know you are you are what you are can you live with that yes i'm a leisurely person i'm not going to try to change it that's my nature but mm -hmm. i can work with it i can create systems to help me move when i don't feel like that mm -hmm. but i also harness that like my leisurely uh personality makes me optimize, makes me find ways which work better for me. My leisurely personality makes me always prioritize what I love the most above everything else. Mm. My family, time with my kids, uh, things, things that, that I, 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 because I'm leisurely, I seek out activities which make me love what I do. Mm. Because I will not force myself for anything less than really important. Mm. So I harness that side of me and I try to work with it, to live with it, rather than try to try to force it out of my system because you can't force yourself. You can't force your, your nature out of your system. You can only try learn to work with it, learn yeah. to live with that. And the interesting thing, because you see when, uh, I, as I said, I've been in personal growth for 20 years and I have been a perfectionist all my life. And I have been a straight A student when I was a, uh, when I was in school, so I know what it means to work hard. So we live in a society that idealizes hard work and force yourself into success. We work like even uh, in personal growth when people come, how do they try to become a better person? They try to they try to switch on their iron will and force themselves into something different. Mm something unnatural, something which is not them, and they rely on willpower, and willpower is an exhaustible resource. So you put your willpower in the things that, I think that you think matter, but it is an exhaustible resource. And not only that, there's multiple research that shows that if you exhaust your resource of willpower in one area, you will not have enough of it in another area. Uh, just a very simple example, there was this research where people were, um, were asked to make, uh, to, to, to solve complicated mathematical uh, tasks. So solving complicated mathematical challenges requires willpower. Hmm. Well, I mean, you, you go, you do something which is hard, and uh, scientists were measuring how long are you capable of doing that before you give up. That shows how much willpower you have. 
So that's how they were measuring willpower in scientific terms. So they, they split the group in two and one and both groups had to wait for about half an hour before they were allowed to go into the classroom where they were measured, actually their will, willpower was measured. And one group was just waiting in the waiting room. Hmm. Uh, sorry, the, the, both groups had a bowl of biscuits, chocolate chip cookies. Mm -hmm. And one group was just waiting in, in that waiting room with the chocolate chip cookies. They were given no instructions whatsoever. So if, you, if they wanted to eat chocolate chip cookies, they ate them. If they didn't, they didn't eat them. The other group was instructed to for sure not take a chocolate chip cookie. So the thought was planted into their head. And of course, they had to, while they were waiting for their mental challenge, they had to also resist eating a chocolate chip cookie because most of us, most people actually find them very tasty. Mm. <clears throat> Those aside who didn't find them tempting, mm. everybody else was actually struggling to not eat chocolate chip cookies. They were wasting their willpower. Mm. So the moment when they were allowed to go into the classroom to do their uh, mental task, the people who had to resist the chocolate chip cookies spent half the time on solving the challenging mathematical problems. They had half the willpower of the other group who was not given any instructions and who could eat chocolate chip cookies if they wanted or not eat them if they didn't want them. And that, that experiment was actually replicated and repeated and it shows exactly the same result. If you spend your willpower in one area, you will not have enough of it for another area which may be challenging. So very often when we try to instill a new habit, for example, a habit of going to gym, it is so important to us because we think it's going to change our whole life. We put so much willpower into that, that we'll start lacking willpower in other areas. And for example, we'll start suddenly being snappish with people in our office because we've spent so much willpower on installing the new habit. Mm. Suddenly, we don't have willpower to do something else. And I choose to do my life on other fuel rather than willpower, on motivation, for example, on intrinsic motivation, where I enjoy doing what I do. I choose to reserve all my willpower for patience, for being mm. polite, mm. for being patient with my children, for mm. being patient with my colleagues. Mm. That's the only place where I think willpower is useful. Mm. And in my mission, I prefer finding some other kind of fuel. But because I'm leisurely, <laughs> mm. I have to be extra, extra, extra careful with how I choose my activities in life. Yeah, this uh, reminds me very much of a, of a very powerful book that I read a while ago by Dr. David Hawkins, like the difference between power and force and forcing ourselves versus the power of like that is innate and natural in existence for us to, yeah, potentially harness. But, yeah, I'm not sure even if that that feels like force, even the, the word harness. So I'm, I'm conscious of using that. I'm probably um, being blasphemed <laughs> in using that languaging. Um I think the the leisure one makes makes sense. Like the lazy, I can sort of see how you have found ways to um, live with that dragon um, by finding ways of okay, this has forced me to be further optimal. How do I optimize? Right. Um, I guess for the the listener tuning in that doesn't have necessarily 
um, either the perfectionist, uh, which we discussed, wasn't really a demon demon, but like the, the the leisurely, like let's start with something that's really pragmatic that some could, and I'm obviously speaking from a place of somewhat privilege here, but let's say we have some like body issues, right? Like body, the way we visualize our body, right? And that's our kind of big shame um, that, you know, I'm not comfortable with how I feel in my body. Um, how do we start to live with a dragon like that one? <laughs> not my forte and I absolutely relate to these people because after turning 40 I started noticing that the body is um, you know it's not an eternal <laughs> eternal machine not an mm. eternal vessel That's and right, aging yeah. is a hard thing uh, for women mm. particularly not as hard for men uh, because of the social um, social um, understanding of you know how uh, how uh, men and women are valuable. So uh, while men are valuable for their achievements, very often women are valuable for their achievements. But one of, one more of my dragons is I like to be liked, mm. I, and I mean physically liked. I like to be attractive, sexually attractive, mm. and that's one one more of the uh, dragons which I've lived with all my life. Uh, you know that's why we we put on makeup and we wear nice clothes. Mm. It's it's part of a lot of women's lives and we we suppress the dragon we don't even talk about that being sexy being attractive is not considered even professional mm. so how do you live with that dragon when you add to that the dragon of being afraid of aging of, of realizing that time goes time is this merciless it goes in one direction. It's uh, and while I can say that yes, I still live the same lifestyle as I lived in my twenties. I can still afford to do a lot of things. Yes, I'm in good physical shape, but I'm ten kilos heavier than I was in my twenties, hmm. and my skin is not as uh, as pretty as it used to be when I was in my twenties. I mean, hmm. age happens, no matter what you say about that, and you can look really good and you can be very energetic. It is. It is changing you. If you don't accept that it is changing, you are being in denial. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is changing, if not even you, it changes your environment. People that I loved and that I remember as children are aging, are losing their ability to move around, to be the same energetic that I've lost people in my life who, who I've loved. So time is real. This is one of my big dragons. And that's that's uh, the dragon that has taught me to understand how painful it can be to accept your body the way it is. Mm. Because if I'm used to being, to wearing anything I like, and now actually choosing clothes to hide certain parts, which are not as they used to be, mm. I get it. I get it. I do not know how to live with that. There are people who are better than me to explain that. But I know one thing. I've learned with my body, I've learned one lesson, what it means to love yourself unconditionally yeah. versus what it means to love yourself with the condition that you are going to improve and be going to become better. Mm -hmm. Because you see, very often when we talk about body image, we say, yeah, I accept myself like that, but I do want to lose those extra kilos. And mm. I do want to lose those, I do not know, uh, probably we don't lose uh, wrinkles anymore unless we do <laughs> some more invasive procedures. But mm. I mean, we love our body very often with conditions. I will love you if you exercise three times a week or five times mm. a week. I will love you if you put only healthy food in yourself. And if you had that pizza, no, no, no. Mm. That's not the, that's the reason to take your, my love back from you. Mm. 
from your body. That's the way we learn, we, we, we love our body. I noticed that I was once looking in, uh, at myself in the mirror and I was thinking, yes, I'm well on the path of becoming back in that shape that I, uh, that I think is my optimal shape. And then mm. I love myself now, but then, then I will truly accept myself. And then I, I remembered, uh, I, I thought about my child and my child has Asperger's. Mm. And that makes a uh, relationship with him a little uh, more nuanced, mm. not challenging anymore. Now I've learned. Yeah. But it was, it was uh, a challenging way because I, I remember times when I didn't know how to interact with him until I got the diagnosis, until I got the training, until I understood him. Now I think he's the best child in the world. So <laughs> I thought myself, I look at my body and I tell myself, yes, I love you, but I will love you even more when you are in better shape. Mm. but would I ever tell my son, I love you, but I would love you so much infinitely more <laughs> if you just didn't have Asperger's. <laughs> I think Asperger's yeah. is what makes him so cool. Mm. I love him with it. Yes, it's not neurotypical. And for most people, it would be also a challenge. It was a challenging path. Mm-hmm. It it has cost me nerves, money, time, everything. But mm. I love him, not with it, but for it as well. Mm. Can I love my body, not despite the extra folds that have appeared, not despite mm. the, extra, uh, the extra wrinkles that have appeared, the gray hair that I find so irritating, but with it, and maybe even for it, because that shows time, you know, like in that movie, Cars, um, this uh, main character told me that there's this main character who is a cool, shiny sports car. Mm. And then there's this mater who is a tow truck who is, mm. uh, you know, he has dents and, and scratches and whatnot. And, and this shiny car tells his friend mater, why doesn't he just get fixed? It's so easy. And he mm. says, no, but these things, they, they, they actually make me what I am. They remind me of the experiences of my life. Mm. My stomach, which has lost shape because its its um, muscles expanded have, uh, and contracted, aside, it's like this because I've had two children. Mm. Can I appreciate the fact that my my body has birthed these two children, not hated for losing shape because of that? Mm. And that's I think the the love for your body is one of the hardest things because of the society the way the society gives pressure on uh, to us and especially women men are getting there as well you guys are catching up with us says that 80 percent of women 80 percent of women when yeah. they look in the mirror don't like what they see mm. which How is why painful I ask this question. Is. yeah which is why i asked this question and i want to sort of just ask a, a similar thing about this what you've described is you know it's it's almost like uh, I need a better way to language this, but I'm just going to speak it out and hopefully it comes out appropriate. So let's say I I don't approve of my body, and then the what I've heard from you is learning to love it. Like and thank you so much for sharing the example of your son because I think that is painfully obvious. There is no way I, my love would be conditional when it comes to your own child, right? It's just like you're perfect, not despite of this, it's not because of this. You know, it's perfect. But then there's also in the personal development industry, especially, I hear this a lot, yeah, it's like, but you wouldn't have fed yourself that much food if you loved your vessel. 
you know, or you wouldn't have treated yourself that way if you loved your vessel prior, you know, and I find that being the kind of rub in, in between the space, which I find it very difficult to reconcile myself. And I'm not asking you to, um, but yeah, it's, and I find. No, I can, I can talk about that because I, I get it. We are, we live in the society of fat shaming and we have gone crazy about what we call fat, by the way. Mm. So there is an objective pro problem. Yes, of course, there is an objective problem. There are a lot of people who are unhealthily overweight. Mm. I agree. This is part of, uh, of uh, I guess this is part of the price we pay for the uh, luxury and comfort of living in, in, in the society that we have built for ourselves. It's safe society with easy access to a lot of food, although most of the overweight people, I haven't researched that topic because, uh, you know, body and health and nutrition are not my area. So yeah. I haven't researched enough, but I, as far as I know, most of the weight problems are actually attributed to the to that part of the society, which is a little uh, less um, rich, poorer, right? Mm. Uh, because it is mostly the cheaper food that is unhealthy. That's that much I know, but that's very superficial. Yeah. With that aside, you know, I will say something which will rub a lot of people the wrong way. Mm. But I guarantee that a lot of people who are in good shape do not love themselves just as much as those people who are overweight because love there is a, I, I, I know I agree you have to take care of yourself mm. it is part of self-love but it is not the self-love mm. taking care of yourself is not about self-love it is one of the expressions it's like you know there are uh, five languages of, of love so mm. it is one of the expressions taking care of yourself and if you mm. don't take care of yourself yes that means that you don't truly love yourself. Mm -hmm. Yes. But if you take care of yourself, it doesn't mean that you love yourself yet. You see, there's yeah. causality, but it goes one way. Mm. Let's not make this logical mistake. Oh, I take care of myself so well. Look at my shape. I eat well. I exercise. I, I do all the right things. No, that doesn't mean you love yourself. That means that you have mastered perfected the art of taking care of yourself but if you ate pizza what would you feel and what would you be saying to yourself internally right that internal dialogue like is that still if a your pleasant child dialogue? breaks a vase mm. that's not the ideal behavior would you hate that child mm. or would you find kindness and compassion and maybe understanding in your heart that this child is just was naughty just mm. didn't listen to you. That's just a child. It's not a doll. Mm. Can you find the same compassion towards yourself? Our, the problem of our contemporary society is that, yes, while there is an objective problem with overweight, with, with healthy, healthy uh, weight gain in, in general, there is also a very huge problem with us substituting self-love with self-care. Mm. And running away into self-care from self-love because it's so much easier to torture yourself with rigorous self-care rather than actually look inside and figure out what are you running away from? Mm. What is your problem? Why are you so, so, so intent on, on everything else? Because, you see, if we bring back the analogy of raising children, there, are, there, there is this proverbial child of very rich uh, 
parents who has everything in life, good nannies, good house, good clothing, good school, everything. But parents are too busy making money. They don't have time to spend with the child. Yeah. It's a proverbial, it's, it's an abstract picture. But we all know that that child can grow up into very privileged brat Mm -hmm. and very unhappy person Mm -hmm. who would end up being, uh, you know, partying hard, taking drugs, running away from from one simple truth. The child didn't get love. Love is not about care. It's not about big house, not about good school. It's not about good nannies. It's about a parent, no matter what kind of parent, finding time, sitting down with your child, being present with your child, hearing your child, seeing your child, accepting the child, telling the child that no matter what you do, I love you. If you make a mistake, I love you. I'm always here for you. That's what love for a child is about. It's not about schools. It's not about clothes. And love towards yourself is not about yoga. It's not about eating healthy. It's not about meditation. It's about, can you sit down with yourself and say, I'm here with you. And no matter what you do, I'm always here with you. I will love you. Let's take it again from, you know, from step zero and try it again. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Thank you so much for sharing that. I was going to say, why is it such a hard sell when you're not selling anything? (laughs) 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 Because it's almost like, hey, there's nothing wrong. You're perfect. It's all good. You know, just relax a little. Accept yourself. Things are good. Um... And then I can sort of feel like a million plus one sort of butts drop in just on the other side of it. And I acknowledge that that's probably exactly where my work begins um, because those are the dragons. But I find it quite telling that there are those butts and I'm sure they exist for those that are tuning in as well. And usually the hard part is, yeah, that normally it's like, okay, and, you know, you find something that's like, okay, well, then you can go unpack this via said course or said, you know, thing, or, you know, this is a whole framework or a whole process. Um, whereas here it's like, yeah, you've got dragons and pet them, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's like, but uh, you're not going to give me the sword, you're not going to give me, you know, so like I think it's really profound giving us the permission to just accept them and pet our dragons and learn to actually the discomfort of just sitting with it and going, actually, 
that is that part of me and can I can I really love that part of me unconditionally and just come to accept it and I'm sure it's not something that happens overnight um, and it's probably conversations like this that sort of poke and prod and open the door um, yeah and for us to sort of weave on that journey further yeah given time I think it probably takes a lot of patience and you mentioned the word patience earlier is that correct? Uh, I, in my book, actually suggest three skills, uh, mm. well, not skills, <laughs> qualities. It's honesty, and we talk a lot about honesty. Mm. We started with honesty, right? Mm. Uh, well, we started with truth. Uh, it requires honesty, it requires kindness, because mm. honesty without kindness is mean. Yeah. So they have to go hand in hand, mm -hmm. and it requires courage. Mm. Uh, definitely it will require courage so i talk about these three things i uh, give uh, some very practical skills how to deal with uh, unpleasant emotions mm -hmm. because unpleasant emotions are going to come up of course there are going to be a lot of questions but uh, one of the questions people ask is but how do i know what is the dragon and what is actually something that needs to be eradicated well if you're smoking most likely it's a bad habit Mm. But it is not, you know, it is not what makes you you. Mm. Uh, and uh, there are there are nuances. And as I said, I don't believe in absolutes. So I can't give absolutes. I can't give the truth. What I can give, I can give you questions, mm. questions that you can ask yourself, because whether you like it or not, but you have the answers in you. Sometimes, sometimes we don't like the answers that we have in us. So we come up with stories. Mm -hmm. because it's much easier to do things which are tangible that's why we substitute self-love with self-care because it's tangible it's so much easier to deal with our physical body than with our emotional body we we are not taught we we don't know that's why we go into we go into things which are which we can understand where we can put more effort more time more perfectionism more willpower it's like you know when if i say that the biggest art about life is letting go the good girls, good boys, perfectionists will ask, how do you let go? <laughs> I'm trying so hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you're holding on to trying to control the concept <laughs> of letting go. Yeah, I, I totally get what you're espousing there. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it, it requires patience, but it's, it's the journey, as I said, once you're out of the door, you're mm. good. <laughs> Christina, what are some of the questions you hope that people would ask themselves um, that brings them home to themselves? What is like an example of a really powerful question that you personally love and wished people asked themselves more? Oh my God, it's such a such a hard question to answer short. But uh, the, the thing that comes to my mind is probably, can I still love myself? I think it would be super important. Maybe it's it's uh, it's a result of our conversation. But I think if you could, no matter what you feel, if you could just ask yourself, can I, but not as a yes or no question, but more like as a rhetorical question, mm. like a, a request, can I please still love myself? Mm. Mm. Try to treat yourself like you are your most important person, your most beloved person not superficially. You know, it's interesting when I talk about self-love from stage, I usually, I like to ask that question. When I talk about honesty or self-love, these are my two favorite questions. I ask, how, uh, how much do you love yourself on the scale from zero to 10? Mm. Or how honest are you with yourself? Are you honest with yourself? 
all the time, 70% of the people will give an answer somewhere between seven and 10. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. But that's the, that's, the, that's the nature of delusion. You're never aware mm. that you're delusional. Uh, you're never aware that you lie to yourself. That's, that's how our mind works. It's, it's mm. brilliant. You know, it, it cheats you and you don't even realize it. <laughs> so, so, and then when we start unpacking it, when we start deeper then people, I don't ask people to say like, oh no, I've been lying to myself. No, just give, just give yourself permission to, to accept the little, the little, I, and I don't want to call it truth, but just the little, a suggestion that maybe you're wrong mm. and maybe there's nothing wrong about being wrong mm. it's okay you know it's okay maybe you're wrong and what whatever happens in your life i mean it's it's a long journey and we we had a conversation which was a little bit here a little bit there mostly because we've had conversations mm. before and we started head on with something very very philosophical maybe not yeah. so practical uh, and if you want to go on this path you need a practical journey and of course yeah. you have to take it step by step in my course in my book i talk about uh, first i give the the skills of dealing with unpleasant emotions because unpleasant emotions are going to surface Mm-hmm. We're not even aware how much we feel them. We, we run away from them. We don't know how to deal with them. So we come up with all sorts of ways how not to deal with them. Mm-hmm. So I give, I give skills. I, and then we talk about honesty. Then we talk about kindness. We talk about courage. So it's a journey. Uh, it's a path. Here, we, uh, we, we were talking about everything. Mm-hmm. So the one thing that I think you could ask yourself, you could start asking yourself if you want to start un- unpacking this is how can I love myself? Mm. Even, even through all of this, mm-hmm. you know, how can I love myself in my perfectionism and obsession with self-care? <laughs> mm. Yeah. <laughs> the one that's um, really pleasant, uh, really present for me as well is how to be with unpleasant emotions. I was recently reading something and they said, and this is just an article, so it's probably not super vetted, but they said they did a body research for this particular person, not scientific research. And uh, what she found was that when she went around researching, um, and I think this was in the States, she found that people could only feel a certain amount of like uh, three emotions, which was uh, they had, I think it was happiness um, and they had grief and they had sadness in their arsenal of emotions. So those were the three things. Oh, no, sorry, it was anger. No, sorry, yeah, it was anger, uh, sadness and joy slash happiness. One of those three, I'm butchering it now, but those were sort of the three. And she subsequently went on this journey of like understanding that if we don't like questioning, her question was if we don't have labels for the emotions, can we feel even feel the Mm. emotion if we don't have labels for them, which I found to be quite um, interesting to sort of just think about that as a concept. Um, Yeah. How do you give a remark to that? I think, Mm. I think we can, we still feel them. Mm. We just can't process them. them we can't uh, so if uh, so most of psychological literature when they talk about emotions what they say is that emotions carry information mm. so you still feel emotions we we are very unaware of our emotions 
because every single moment of time you feel something some emotion you either don't have a name for that or you're mm-hmm. not aware that emotions come in different degrees mm-hmm. from very subtle uh, feelings to intense so we normally notice emotions when they're intense when they start naming them that's why joy anger and uh, sadness uh, grief is actually a, a subset of sadness yeah uh, so uh, we, we notice them when they're intense, but there are less intense emotions. For example, apathy, dullness. Mm. You normally don't mention them because they are a little bit uh, less intense, but if you go a little bit deeper into that, uh, that um, field, then uh, apathy, for example, apathy, apathy and dullness can be signs of depression, which can actually spiral down to very dangerous conditions. So mm. it is very healthy to be a little bit more aware of your emotions. So in, in uh, psychological literature, what they say is that you, emotions carry information. Mm. which is vital information for you to deal with your life. So if you don't have labels for your emotions, you're probably not registering them, probably you're not hearing the information. So you do still feel them, but you don't know how to process them. You don't know how to deal with them. You don't know what they are, what information they carry, and how can you move on through these emotions with benefit to yourself. That's, that's I feel, what is the biggest problem with being unaware of your emotions. But yeah. it's true, we, we have very limited uh, capacity of the emotions that we, we operate with. We call out stress, we call out anger, sadness. Yes, m- most people, it's not three, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it, it is a handful. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if you dig deep, I, I once tried to create my own vocabulary of expanded vocabulary of emotions. Mm-hmm. I, I got lost at 300. There are nuances. Anger is not just anger. There's irritation, there's rage, there's, you know, there, there are so many. I, like if I open my, uh, my spreadsheet, I'll, I'll give you like 30 names for anger. Mm. There are all sorts of different nuances because irritation and annoyance, which are variations of anger, are a little different. Mm. Versus anger per se, or let's say when you are um, furious, right? Mm. They're very different nuances, different. And if you name your anger, if you give it a more precise name, it carries more information and you know how to deal with it better. Because Mm -hmm. annoyance, you may eject yourself out of the situation. When it is actually something deeper, you might have to express yourself and be you. We're coming back in a full circle to our conversation. When do you choose that you have to be you, that you have to proclaim your values, that you have to draw the boundary and say, this is important and non-negotiable versus where you can choose to just be polite and you eject yourself out of the situation. You have Mm. to be aware of what what kind of emotion uh, that situation elicits in you. What is that battle worth fighting? Mm. And if we decide that it is worth fighting for certain emotions and certain battles, how do you prescribe we sit with some of the more unpleasant emotions like anger and potentially sadness? Like, is it a matter of being present to it over time or different emotions, different, different, different treatments? What are your... 
Well, I don't treat, treat usually emotions. <laughs> yeah, no, even treat emotions is like a sorry. I, I have I'm, to make I'm a little into a landmine. Walked into a landmine. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, it, it actually gives me uh, an opportunity to, to make a disclaimer. I'm not. Uh, I don't have a degree in psychology. I'm the biggest amateur. Uh, amateur. <laughs> fan of psychology <laughs> so i refer to it a lot but i i don't uh, i don't work with people i'm not a therapist mm -hmm. so uh, i do have my own formula for dealing with unpleasant emotions nevertheless and uh, it has seven steps i might butcher the order right now mm -hmm. so the first one is actually being aware that what we are talking about being aware that you are feeling emotions all the time if you were to stop right now and ask yourself what emotion do you feel can you give it a name of course, in, I, I do hope that you, I, I'll give you a suggestion. I hope it's curiosity. <laughs> or something along uh, those lines. <laughs> yeah. but, but any other moment, like when you, when you are just walking through the park, stop and ask yourself, what is this emotion? Mm. Um, then the next one is um, actually acknowledging that you are feeling an emotion. And mm. that is a little more relevant when they are uh, intense. Uh, for example, when you're feeling an intense emotion that you think is not part of your picture, that you shouldn't be feeling, because part of be, uh, having a picture of what it means to be perfect you uh, comes with what are the emotions that the perfect me is supposed to feel. Mm. So a very simple example, an enlightened, uh, loving uh, version of me isn't supposed to feel disliked or not towards another person. I'm all love. Mm. So if you're feeling something akin to dislike or akin to jealousy, or greed mm. a more enlightened person per, version of you wouldn't feel greed or jealousy right you'll you'll start you, you're like no 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 this is not what i'm supposed to feel and what does our mind do we actually start replacing the reality we start lying to ourselves when the reality and our picture of perfection don't correspond we start bridging the gap with lies and our mind is perfect it's it's built for creating an illusion for distorting the reality. If you're interested in that, research defense mechanisms in psychology. Mm. Oh my God, this is mm. such a beautiful topic. Mm. So because we face emotions that we don't accept mm. as part of our picture, we don't acknowledge them. Mm -hmm. We start either substituting them, which is reaction formation, or projecting them. Oh no, I don't dislike you. You're the one who dislikes me and I'm just reacting to that. Yeah, that turns into gaslighting real fast, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> or or uh, reaction formation. I don't dislike you. I'm concerned. Mm. I'm all love. Mm. <laughs> For God's sake. Actually, you know, distorting your feelings is as damaging to you as it is to another person. To acknowledge that you're angry with me. Yeah. Because that's much healthier, because that gives us that gives us permission to move on because when you say like no 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 i'm all all love it's all you you're being <laughs> it's it's so i don't even want to go into that topic so the second step is acknowledging yeah and that's a hard thing for most of us mm -hmm. then if you can name it and that's that's what we were talking about. There were so many names to emotions. The more precisely you name it, the better you can deal with that. The, right. uh, the more precise the information that you are getting. And there mm -hmm. are at least 200 functional names that you can work with. Mm -hmm. Just research expanded vocabulary of emotions on internet and you'll mm -hmm. get loads of material to work with.
Right. So name your emotions as precisely as you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the next one, locate it in your body because all emotions are expressed somewhere in your body because that's where you can work with that. If you locate it in your body, every emotion expresses itself somewhere physically, whether it's in your chest, in your stomach, in your limbs, in your head, you know, it, it can be any kind of sensation, heaviness, tension, pain. Uh, then the next one, and I, again, I'm, you, you can- Whichever order, the, yeah. You, you can shift the, the order if, you, if, if it's more natural to you, because very often locating in the body comes before you even are aware of emotion. Mm. You might locate something in your body first, like I'm feeling very weird in my stomach, and then you become aware that you're feeling an emotion. So that mm-hmm. step can move. Uh, and then you ask yourself, because that's tied to giving precise name to your emotion. What, what information is this emotion carrying? I call it diagnose. Mm. Whatever it is, you feel jealous. What does it mean? Mm. Don't judge. Go into it with curiosity. Don't judge. Oh, no, 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 no. I can't feel jealous. No, no. I have to, I have to work with it. I have, to, I have to shove it away. That's not how it works. You ask yourself, why am I feeling that? No matter what it is, don't be judgmental. You feel what you feel. Can you still love yourself Mm. like a child? If Mm. your child came and said, I'm angry. I know we are tempted to say, no, 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 you can't be angry. (laughs) Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. Tell me more. Mm. Why are you angry? What makes you angry? Don't deny a child a possi- an opportunity to feel what they feel. Don't teach them to be a zombie. Hmm. Learn, teach, teach them to, to uh, dive deep and explore and learn and get, carry the information because that's the, that's the beauty of mouth emotions. The moment they do their job, they move on. If you start describing what you feel, as you describe, you start feeling something new. Try to, try to go into it with curiosity rather than the ju- judgment. Yes, so you feel jealous. You're human. Mm. If it was your child, would you still love yourself? Mm-hmm. What does it say? What kind of values does it point? Maybe, maybe if you feel jealous, that means that you haven't done work in certain area of your life. Maybe that's a call to action. Mm. You know? Maybe, maybe if you j- feel jealous, that just that just highlights some quality about you. Ask, be curious, ask, and Mm. and let it just be. Of course, you can't get stuck because there are no absolutes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You have to be able to move on from from that diagnosis. So the next step, and what helps you to move on, if it's an intense emotion, it usually expresses itself very intensely in your body, and that's a good place to practice. You relax physically. You tell that body, a part of your body, you can go into meditation here, close your eyes and tell that part of your body to relax, breathe. There is this beautiful box breathing, which actually gives you balance. It's like you, you breathe in at the count of four, you hold your breath to a count of four, you breathe out at a, to a count of four, and you hold your breath. Four, 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 four. It really helps you to find balance. It actually relaxes your body fully. Mm. The moment you relax you, yourself physically, your emotion also subsides because they are kind of, it's so interesting. Uh, emotions are expressing themselves in your body, but also through your body, you can let them go. That's why you feel so much better in the morning after you have slept because your body relaxes. And then after that, I usually suggest to embrace your dragon. 
<laughs> because you've, you've yeah. worked through it, right? It's given your information. Yeah. And if you feel you've relaxed physically, now you're ready to release. Mm. And that's the hardest part. Yeah. You let go. You're like, okay, that's it. Can I move on? What, what do I do with my life next? What's the next best step? You don't fight it. You don't, you don't terminate it. Mm. You don't hide it. You don't pretend that it's not there. You just accept, you listen, you chill, you let go and you move on with your life. And it's just, that's what you are. Your emotions is not you. Your emotions, you just feel them. So it's okay to feel angry. It's okay to feel jealous. It's okay to feel righteous. It's okay to feel perfect. It's okay to feel better than everybody else. Listen, listen to the information and know that you may be wrong. Hmm. And it's okay. And just as you're sharing that our emotions are not us, I get the impression that our dragons are a part of us, but our dragons aren't us, even though we may identify ourselves as our dragons. But they're more complex than the emotions, right? Of course. Because my dragon, my laziness can create all sorts of emotions for me. <laughs> On one side, it creates the shame and yeah. guilt. Mm -hmm. And I'm using very, very uh, general terms right now. Actually, if I went deeper, probably I could, I could <laughs> come up with more nuanced mm. uh, feelings like discontent or or maybe even disliking myself a little bit. I wish mm. I was a little more hardworking. But on the other hand, I know that because of that, I'm researching that field a lot because I think that we live in a society which idealizes hard work too much. Oh, yeah. They and don't. I know, I know. And, and, and this is such a rat race. This is such a... <laughs> it makes people unhappy. Because yeah. what are your happiest moments is when you hug the most beloved person and you do nothing and you're being a lazy bum. <laughs> and yesterday I woke up in the morning in my countryside home, which I built last year yeah. with the money that I earned with hard work. But mm. it, it wasn't about hard work and the money that I earned. It, it was about me taking my cup of coffee, which some people would argue is not healthy for me, mm. sitting on the steps of the freshly built house, looking into the forest with my mom next to me with her cup of coffee mm. and thinking of the sheep that I'm going to buy. Mm. This is the moment which makes me happy and I'm lazy in that moment. Mm. So maybe being leisurely is not so bad and not so unimportant mm. because that makes me actually research and find out that the Pareto principle there is there for a reason. If you analyze what you create, yes, I have periods of hard work. Today I had to work up, wake up early to rush, to mm. get ready because I was giving, I was taking my kid to school mm. and you know, the, the usual morning, thing and rushing to be in time i was actually five minutes late for this podcast so i get it i get it you have yeah. to be you sometimes have to be in a hamster's wheel but that can't be your default regime because if you mm. analyze your work you will discover that the 80 percent of the things that matter you create in that stroke of genius mm. where you don't even work mm. that's when you flow that's when you that's how you, you see at 36, I decided to learn harp. And in harp, there is this technique. I don't mm. remember the actual name for it, but you uh, play a succession of arpeggios and harp mm. has 47 strings. You do it's it like, like this. And you have to touch the strings one by one very quickly. Mm. 
Yeah. So while to learn this technique, you practice, you practice for hours and hours and hours, but for it to sound, you have to let go and yeah. trust your body to know what's it doing. Yeah. And that's the hard thing. The stroke of genius happens when you let go. Mm. And that's the one thing we never manage to, because it's <laughs> so inexplicable. Yeah. It's so much easier to put hard work. It's so much easier to work your tail off, to put the hours. Because that's something which we understand. That's tangible. It's but that's not what creates genius. Mm. And that's the, maybe my laziness was given to me so that I research it deeper. And actually, maybe I'm paying with something. I do not know. I feel a very, I live a very comfortable life. I've built a lot. Mm. I do not know. Maybe I could have created five times as, as much. I do not know. But maybe I was given that as one of the messages that I have for the world. Who knows? I will not discover it. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting, as you were sharing, I could feel the dragons. And this is just where my kooky little head went. Where these are like little drags. Like we feel like they drag on, <laughs> like drag on our character, <laughs> these little dragons that we have. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, articulating that. Yeah, you know, there, there is so much in them that, you know, once we accept them, that that is just, it can be a blessing in many ways, you know, um, just to sort of come home to ourselves and just realise that maybe this is the whole reason why, you know, I carry that dragon is for me to just learn to look at that that way and learn to me to be even more accepting of myself ultimately. Um, yeah, it's probably speaking to us in a certain way. You know how I figured out how to deal with laziness? Mm. <laughs> I make appointments with people. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, yeah. I, uh, and I show up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when I show up, I work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I, f I found that as a, as a hack, as a coach as well, because I coach different people with, you know, this is really basic, but like some people are task oriented and some people are people oriented and, I'm a hundred percent people oriented. Yeah. Very little task orientation within me. And I've learned to hack myself to care about the people that are doing the tasks. So I'll either book appointments with people <laughs> to make sure that I get the task done or to get invested in other people's tasks and care about what they are doing. And then, you know, leverage the person into the task. So leveraging human connection to sort of get tasks done is a yeah very powerful, powerful skill there. Christina. You know yeah, can, I, can I just add one more thing? Oh, you know I'm not to. about accepting your uh, leisurely part. Mm. If you don't accept it, a lot of people can relate to procrastination. Yeah. And nowadays we have linked it to perfectionism. So yeah. it's it's so good, you know. Oh, I'm just being perfect. Yeah. You know, there are other ways, uh, reasons for procrastination. In my case, it's not so much perfectionism. It's more yeah. the leisureliness. Mm. <laughs> but the thing is that. Um, a lot of people have this, and I know a lot of very accomplished people have this. Mm. We just don't talk about that because it's such a taboo. Yeah. But if you accept that, you actually, the moments when you are indulging in that, you mm. can truly enjoy it rather than feeling guilty for indulging in that moment. And that's what we lose. We still keep, we still give ourselves those moments because our bodies are not, I mean, I'll come back to the phone. It won't, if you don't charge it, it won't function. No mm. matter how good it is, it will die. So our bodies do that to us. They, they'll push us into being, you know, into being leisurely from time to time. But because we don't accept that side of ourselves, when we are doing this because we have to, we feel guilty. 
So rather than fully recharging and enjoying and, and, enjoying and savoring it, <laughs> yeah. we, we can't wait to get back to work. Yeah. Isn't even that just, torture? You, yeah, even your nervous system, right? Like dropping into that parasympathetic to allow yourself to really sink into it rather than just like, okay, now I'm doing the thing that should relax me, but I'm feeling guilty about it. So I'm still saying jacked into my like sympathetic nervous system is, yeah. Yeah. Can you, can you, uh, I do not know if you felt that, like you sit down to meditate and then at some point it's like, uh, when is it over? I have to go. <laughs> oh, I try, I try not to have a hard stop on the end of my meditation. Yeah. But yeah, sometimes it's, yeah. Okay. I'm squeezing it in and it's like, okay, five minutes. And it's like, is it five minutes? Okay, it's like, okay, it's Maybe five minutes. my alarm clock stopped and I'm sitting here for three hours. <laughs> yeah. Mm, it's a journey. Christina. I thank you so much for sharing how to actually really sit with the unpleasant emotions and uh, yeah, just giving us permission to sort of, yeah, just learning the nuance between really what kindness looks like towards ourselves, because I know that in each moment it feels, it can be different in each moment. In some moments, kindness is not to eat the chocolate bar. And in some moments, kindness is completely to have the chocolate bar and enjoy it and don't build a story around it, please, you know? And I think there's a real nuance in there that we've we've walked our, ourselves into today that I really appreciate you helping us unpack. And I will put a link to, um, yeah, joining the waitlist to Becoming Flawsome um, into the show notes below. I'm excited for this book to come out because, yeah, every time we talk, I feel like I just come home closer and closer to yeah, just being more at ease with myself. And I think that's really the medicine that you're carrying. And I really appreciate you sharing so abundantly in that space as well. Not just obviously today's conversation, but all the conversations that inform this one. Um, and not just the three conversations we've had previously. It's, you know, your walk in life, you really um, provide a lot of context to the content that you're sharing. And I really respect and appreciate you for that. Thank you so much for doing this with us. Thank you. Can I, can I just finish with a butchered quote from Matrix? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm rephrasing it. Kindness is not about a chocolate bar. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Mm. I, I was referring to there's no spoon. <laughs> yeah, there is no spoon. <laughs> yeah. Mm. But yeah, thank you so much for doing this, class, and I really appreciate you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me again. Thank you so much for tuning in to this amazing episode of the Inspired Evolution. Without you, the Inspired Evolution tribe, this podcast would not be what it is today. Thank you so much for your love and your support. Thank you so much for being so inspired to evolve. It's truly inspiring. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Inspired Evolution on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution's video podcast. We release inspiring conversations such as this every week, along with guided meditations and empowering insights all designed to help you grow and evolve. Honestly, your subscription on YouTube to the channel helps us out a great deal. And one of the other benefits, if you're having any insights or shifts from these episodes that you want to chat about, or if you'd like to leave myself or the guest a message, please do so in the comments on YouTube. I truly look forward to hearing from you. And as always, Tribe, remember to stay inspired and keep evolving.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.